0: Hey, it's Mark. There's been a noticeable shift in how Americans feel about marijuana. Twenty years ago, legalization was opposed by two-thirds of Americans. Today, that situation is flipped, with recent surveys suggesting that the majority of Americans now support it. That shift in attitudes is reflected in the landscape for legal marijuana. Fully 37 states in the District of Columbia have comprehensive medical programs or functioning recreational markets. And even some of those with no comprehensive legalization nonetheless have provisions for many aspects of medical and recreational use, like decriminalizing possession or allowing for limited medicinal use of low THC products. The issue transcends politics, with polling showing that a majority of Republicans now support legalization, as well as geography with a number of red states on board, four to be exact. Americans' attitudes on the subject have certainly moderated in recent years, as indicated by state-level efforts, and legislatures in those states have taken the lead in recent years in making such changes. We've also seen a vibrant market emerge for medicinal and recreational retailers. As more states introduce bills to legalize, by year's end, nearly half of the nation's states and District of Columbia could have a legal recreational drug market in defiance of federal laws, according to news reports. But that patchwork of laws makes marketing a challenge, to say the least. Against that backdrop, and in recognition of this year's 420 celebration, Jack has an interview with Cureleaf's EVP of Marketing, Kate Lynch. And let is here with a health policy update.
1: Hey Mark, today in health policy news, the FDA has authorized an additional bivalent COVID-19 booster shot for older and immunocompromised adults. Plus, I'll give a quick update on the legal battle over abortion pill mifepristone, which has now reached the Supreme Court.
0: And Jack, what specious health advice trending on social media are we drawing attention to this week? For this week's segment, we're going something straight out of
2: Little Shop of Horrors, and we'll be digging into the latest troubling health trend around TikTok's do-it-yourself dentistry.
0: I'm Mark Isco, it's Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing media's show about healthcare marketing writ large.
2: Hi there, and welcome to the mm podcast. My name is Jack O'Brien. I'm the digital editor at mm I'm happy to be joined today by Kate Lynch, the EVP of marketing at Cureleaf. Kate, thanks for joining us today.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: So this episode is gonna be going out on 420, and obviously we wanted to have somebody who's in the cannabis sector here to talk about some of the questions that we have from a medical marketing perspective. And I guess if I can lead off the conversation, Kate, I'm really curious what you make of the current state of cannabis in this country you know obviously there's been a lot of progress made in the past few years as it relates to the legalization effort but really kind of curious of your assessment
3: yeah you know I, i've been in the industry now for over eight years and i think we've made excellent progress especially in the, in the recent years i think twitter advertising you know th- that news a couple months ago is a great indication of hopefully the the widening acceptance of cannabis um and you know the biggest struggle that we have in marketing is just education and awareness so i think the more channels that open up the more tolerance there is around education, um, the better off we'll all be. But it's definitely moving in the right direction.
2: And I'm curious on that front, we can get into the Twitter uh, uh, aspect of it a little later. But when it comes to the progress that's been made on marketing, I know that Um, there's been some reporting in the past about how really the marketing has turned from like, this is cannabis and being very explicit about it to kind of almost modeling what we see in the alcohol industry, where it's like, this is something that you can use if you're of the legal age and you can consume it, but it's not necessarily as much of a kind of nudge like, oh yeah, this is marijuana. This is, you know, just like any other product. What is that kind of been like from your perspective, from a marketing perspective, in terms of like changing things from, oh, it's being perceived one way to, oh, no, it's kind of being perceived in a, I guess you could say, more normalized way?
3: So, yeah, I mean, listen, we operate in multiple states that all have various sets of regulations. So I think there's a nuance there where when we say, you know, what is marketing cannabis? It really depends on the market that we're talking about. So um and those regulate, you know, those regulations market by market have evolved and opened up over time. So we operate in strictly medical markets, we operate in adults use, use markets, we operate in hybrid markets that have both programs. Um, but you know I, I will say that our ability to talk more about um, what cannabis is, what it does, the different properties of, of our products, um, potentially the different use cases and benefits of our products that that narrative has widened quite a bit over the over the recent years, which is very helpful for those who don't necessarily have a lot of knowledge around. The plant and around the products and may not even be considering using them as an alternative to some, you know, some some of their uh, existing solutions for what their problems may be. So the more that we can talk about the safety, the quality and the use cases for cannabis, the more new new folks we have considering and the more consumers that we can convert.
2: And to that end, when it comes to the educational aspect, you know, I speak with a lot of uh, medical marketing leaders who represent pharma and biotech brands, and they're obviously talking a lot about medicines or new treatments that have come out, vaccines, and they have to go through to different patients and say, you know, this is how it could affect you, this is what the benefit is. When it relates to cannabis, and you talk about maybe people that hadn't even considered it before, you know, what is that process like from an educational aspect and how receptive are these uh, potential customers?
3: It again varies by market based on our ability to to have that narrative. Um, I, you know, the number one sort of lead source um, is through word of mouth and referrals. Mm-hmm. So, given that cannabis is is still relatively a, a relatively new topic in most people's minds, um, the most trusted source that they that, that that they have is the people that they you know that they know and, and love and trust. So, we we are find constantly finding ways to identify who sort of those those champions are and those advocates of the products. Um, and empower them to tell their stories. You know, it, it's, it's much easier for our consumer base to share, um, share their knowledge and share their experience around cannabis than it is for us to tell them. Um, and a, a, a lot of which we're restricted to do anyway. So, I would say, you know, the number, our our number one source of education is through our, not only our consumers, but also our physicians in many markets that, in the medical market. So, you know, in, in some of our medical markets, you actually have to go get a card, a medical card. And in order to do that, you have to meet with a doctor. And so, our ability to educate the doctors who then can educate those patients um, is, is a st- first stop in those medical markets, and it's our consumers in the adult use markets that we rely on to tell those stories.
2: It's so key, just like it is with you know any of these other drugs or treatments that we talk about with reaching those HCPs and being able to have them foster that relationship with patients. Just kind of taking a step back for a second, you had mentioned the decision by Twitter to allow some advertising of cannabis on the platform, obviously, in light of Elon Musk buying it back in October. What has that change been like for Cureleaf and what could that potentially lead uh, to, you know, other opportunities on other social media platforms?
3: Well, we're hoping it leads to many other opportunities on other social platforms. But for us, it's given us a new channel to talk to consumers and to prospects. Um, You know, there is there's somewhat of a rigorous um, sort of approval process on getting approved to advertise on Twitter, uh, cannabis um, advertising. And so basically we start we started small. So we started in two markets. Um, and have run a campaign in March and re- running a new campaign in April around our products and then specifically around 420, which is relevant for this conversation. But it's allowing us to have a much broader reach through traditional channels. Um, we're constantly measuring the impact of these campaigns, but we are seeing significant uptick in our Twitter following um, and traffic to our website. So that, for, for us, it's, it's a huge win just to be able to have a broader net to cast, um, you know, to, to talk about Cureleaf and the benefits of, of our products.
2: And I am curious too, just as it relates to being in the cannabis marketplace, how has it been in terms of, you know, competition? Obviously you're not the only player in the market, but you're a significant player. And so I wonder what that's like. Is there more entrance in the market? There's more interest in, you know, pouring a lot more of investment and people looking at the potential for legalization or other opportunities. You know, what's that been like for CureLeap over the past couple of years as momentum has continued on that front?
3: Yeah, it's a double edged sword. You know, the, the more the more cannabis um, brands and companies out there, the more awareness there is around, um, you know, cannabis products. So that's a good thing. Um, the news is spreading. But also there therein lies the growth of competition. And um, in some markets, you know, it's 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 steep. I mean, when I started in this industry eight or nine years ago, you know, if you had product that you could put on a shelf, you sold it. No question about it, whether that product, how it was marketed, how it was packaged, you sold it. Now it's very competitive. If you look at a lot of the brands out there, you know, a lot more leaning towards a CPG approach where it's a sophisticated package, it's a sophisticated marketing story. Um, And so from that standpoint, it's great because it's bringing higher quality products and stories to market, but it's making our jobs, you know, um, exciting and more challenging.
2: I I think it's a very interesting way of looking at the market as being exciting and more challenging. As it relates to 420 itself, obviously, you know, that's kind of even changed over the past few years. I remember, you know, even being in college and a lot of brands that you would interact with would have some sort of like acknowledgement of 420, but they weren't being as, you know, I would say being more coy than anything about it. But whereas now I think there's a lot more of a of an understanding of like cannabis is part of the culture. It's a growing part of the culture. People are genuinely interested. Maybe if they hadn't been before, how has that changed? Just from your own marketing perspective, as a as a day of recognition for the industry.
3: You know, it's 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 a it's an interesting thing because you know we were founded as a as a medical cannabis company. You know, heavily leaning into then wellness, and now have opened up into a lot of adult use markets. Um, 420 doesn't really mean anything to the medical consumer who's unaware of cannabis. Um, But from from the adult use recreational standpoint, it is, it's the biggest holiday of the year. And we can't ignore that, right? It it drives a ton of traffic outside of the traditional holiday period um, into our stores. So we have to, we have to embrace that. And we do for sure. Um, It's a big promotional moment for us and our competition. Um, But, you know, we we walk a very fine line between acknowledging the fact that a lot of our our consumers are wellness seekers. Um, They're not looking to exploit, you know, their use of cannabis. They're looking to improve their lives. The flip side of that is we do have a lot of people that love the product and love 420. So we walk a very fine line in terms of messaging, given that we have, you know, 150 plus stores that span the gamut of types of consumers and markets.
2: It sounds like a very interesting balancing act there where it's like you have one audience that you have to obviously play to. But then there's another one, too, that maybe has no interest or you know acknowledgement of that other side. So you kind of have to balance the world in both hands.
3: Exactly, and and frankly, while it's challenging, it is a mar- in some ways it is a marketer's dream because mm-hmm. to have that wide of a pool of consumers and potential consumers is great. You just have to be very thoughtful in terms of how you're. You're uh, messaging to them and relating to them because you don't want to offend either side. So, you know, we, we, we keep that in mind as we're putting together our campaigns. And at the end of the day, you know, customer service and quality products wins. And that's what we're very, very focused on is how can we deliver the highest quality products, you know, of great value with the best customer service? Um, because that's what, frankly, every consumer wants.
2: Absolutely. And kind of pivoting the conversation a little bit back towards the medical marketing side, I'm curious what you would say to maybe some of the leaders in our audience who are focusing on that kind of medical aspect as opposed to, say, the recreational or adult use side. What maybe is the most misunderstood or important uh, consideration that they should have when they're looking at the medical cannabis industry and where it's going in the future?
3: I mean, that's a great question. You know, I, I think we can... The more the more research and data that comes out about the benefits of cannabis, the easier our lives get. You know, we can't openly talk about the, um, you know, the 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 need or the mood states, or I should say the need states, the 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 conditions, the medical conditions that cannabis could potentially address. I won't even say treat, but address, because there are no formal clinical trials, mm-hmm. trials that have been done on cannabis. So. We have to walk a very fine line, but I, I would say that, you know, there are a lot of studies out there that you can read on, on the benefits of cannabis. I think the more the innovation has evolved around how you formulate products, how you extract the cannabinoids from the plant and combine it with other um, natural ingredients, the more you you start to trust and believe in this plant and its ability to, like I said, to address um address some consumers, you know, issues that they may be addressing with other potentially more toxic products, but it may, it's, makes it very hard for us to make those claims because we just don't have the formal information or necessarily the ability to make those claims.
2: I am curious from a marketing perspective, what you see the go forward looking like, like, I'm sure that even if we had this conversation a couple of years ago and, you know, we were talking about the fact that you can advertise cannabis products on Twitter and there was this wider acceptance of, you know, Cannabis, both for recreational and medicinal use, in the country, that would probably be surprising. So, I'm just kind of curious, maybe from a short term, long term perspective, where you see everything going uh, as it relates to the industry.
3: I can see it continuing down the path it's on. Hopefully, a, a faster track than we've been on, and that is continuing to widen. Um, you know, the acceptance across marketing channels, um, and you know, even distribution points opening up. Um, to embrace, embrace cannabis. So I I, I think we're on that path. I do think, again, it goes back to the products, Uh, the formulation of products, the dosing, the micro dosing, the, the quality, the testing, you know, results, everything it, you know, again, 10 years ago, you didn't have the information nor the access to formulated products that we have now. Um, so we, 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 you know, you, you can get products, um, you know, from, from CureLeaf and from a lot of, you know, the competition that, you know, exactly what you're getting, you know, how much you're getting. Um, like I said, you can see the test results of everything that we sell. So, you know, what went into it. Assure that there's nothing that you would not want to ingest in your body in, in there. And that, I would say, is, is definitely a great step in the right direction from where we've been. Given that, again, when I started in this industry, you know, nine years ago, 80% plus of all sales was smokable flour. Um, and now that has dropped, you know, just shy below 50%. So the other the other, um, you know, 50% is made up of formulated products that, you know, you, you know, everything that went into them. And, and most importantly, the dosing you're getting when you're using them.
2: And I assume when you talk about that, you're talking about like gummies, edibles, you know, um, I, I've seen that there's even lotions and stuff like that. I, I assume that's what you're talking about when you refer the non flour yep. things.
3: Basically anything that you would extract the oil from the plant and then turn it into a different product. So vape Mm -hmm. um, is a big category for us. Um, Yes, edibles, gummies is our number one edible skew that we sell. Um, And then you'll see topicals for sure. Beverages is is a a category that's now popping up. It's a small piece of the pie today, but I think it's definitely going to continue to grow and bring new consumers in as they're looking for healthier options on the on the recreational side, healthier options, you know, outside of alcohol, for example, to Um, you know, to wind down. And then, you know, on the medicinal side, you know, you can sip a beverage that has no calories, no sugars, um, you know, and um, have the same benefits of what, you know, of a smokable product, for example. Mm
2: -hmm. I am curious, too, uh, and I've appreciated you being on the show here, Kate, especially in light of it being 420. When it comes to maybe some of, say, the black market or, you know, non-approved challenges that you face. You know, I, I, I live here in New York and there are plenty of smoke shops. I can walk down any major street here. And I know that that's probably a challenge to, you know, the legal business that you and, uh, and your competitors operate in. What does that mean from a brand perspective? How do you combat that? Or is that just something that kind of comes with the territory and you have to kind of figure your way out in each individual market?
3: It is it is one of our biggest, if not our biggest challenge, to be honest. You know, we, we were like I said, we were founded as a medical cannabis company, leaned heavily into wellness and really want to bring high quality, safe, transparent products to market. And when we are up against the folks that you're talking about, the brands that you're talking about that don't go through the rigor and the regulations that we go through. Um, it makes it very challenging not only for us to, you know, to, to maintain our share of market and our share of voice, but to assure that we're providing that access to the safe, high quality products to those consumers looking for them. So that I would say it's one of our biggest challenges. We are certainly um, very aware of it and trying to just find bigger and better ways to, um, to market to and attract the consumers looking to use canvas to our products and our brands because we can assure that they are safer um, and they're of higher quality.
2: Yeah, definitely kind of a double-edged sword there. There's a you know a, a kind of Wild West effect, I imagine, and a little bit of growing pains that come with the industry. But certainly sounds like Cureleaf's got a lot of opportunities ahead of it in addition to obstacles. So I really appreciate you being on the show here, and we'll be interested to see how you, the organization, and the industry itself start to unfold in the months
0: to come.
3: I appreciate it.
0: Health Policy Update with Lesha Bushak.
1: The Food and Drug Administration on Tuesday authorized people aged 65 and older, as well as immunocompromised people, to get additional updated COVID-19 booster shots this spring. That includes both the Pfizer and Moderna bivalent vaccines and allows eligible people to receive another dose a few months after their last shot. While the public health emergency has officially ended and peak pandemic days are in the rearview mirror, some 1,300 people continue to die from the virus each week in the U.S., according to the CDC. Conflict over a contentious ruling by a federal judge in Texas that seeks to block the FDA's approval of abortion pill mifepristone has reached the Supreme Court. Last week, the Biden administration, as well as Mifepristone maker Danko Laboratories, asked the Supreme Court to intervene and halt lower courts from enforcing Judge Matthew Kaczmarek's decision. Meanwhile, anti-abortion groups called on the Supreme Court to restrict Mifepristone availability. On Friday, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito granted a brief administrative stay on the case until this Wednesday at midnight. The court will decide by then whether to allow or halt another decision by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals that would restrict access to the pill by limiting telehealth prescriptions and retail pharmacies from dispensing it. The Supreme Court has a 6-3 conservative majority. I'm Lesha Bouchak, senior reporter at MMM. Social media Instagram, Instagram. TikTok. TikTok Twitter YouTube social media
0: update. And this is the part of the broadcast. We welcome Jack O'Brien to tell us what's trending on healthcare social media. Jack,
2: so Mark, we're talking about a story that Lesha wrote late last week about the latest troubling thing to be on TikTok, do-it-yourself dentistry. Now we've talked a lot on the show about the dearth of health misinformation and dangerous trends on TikTok, but this is probably the most concerning one that we've covered on the podcast. In recent weeks, users have taken to the app to offer DIY tooth care tips, citing the high cost of dental care in the U.S. as a reason to take care of your own teeth at home. While the notion may sound enticing, the results are anything but. One user proclaimed, I'm my own dentist, in a dubious video in which he claims he's using pliers and a flashlight to, quote, cut those gums out. One video with more than 8,000 likes notes, quote, it only takes 10 seconds to fill a tooth with your own hands. The video then shows a person dissolving a vague substance in water and molding it into a tooth. Then there are the nail files. In one especially unsettling video with 1.5 million likes, a TikToker begins filing down on composite bonded vampire teeth. All of these decidedly unsafe and half-baked ideas have dentists and dental assistants on the app. Real, actual medical professionals warning patients that this is doing more harm than good. And Lesha, I want to throw it to you because you wrote the article... You saw the videos and I, I do actually warn our listeners that if you are squeamish, don't watch them because they are just awful. But I mean, it's it's very unsettling, but it does point to a larger issue at hand, which is the cost of of health in this country and accessibility.
1: Yeah. You know, of all the TikTok trends that we've covered, uh, the kind of underlying common theme of this one was I was seeing a lot of people stating in their videos or in the caption or sort of, you know, saying before they're undertaking this DIY trend It's because, you know, dental care is expensive in the U.S. and they don't want to go to a dentist and they don't want to to spend all that money. So they're resorting to these do it do it yourself hacks at home, which um, for the most part, arguably all pretty bad idea. Um, You know, we've heard uh, experts sort of speak out about it and say uh, some of these are actually quite dangerous and can lead to you having to go get emergency dental care as a result of trying them. And then obviously that's going to cost even more money. So, um, you know, it's definitely concerning.
2: I mean, some of them just seem like kind of common sense, like don't put pliers in your mouth. Don't put, you know, all these sorts of tools. Don't file
1: your teeth down. I, I, I've heard that, um, that can basically cause nerve damage, um, in your teeth if you do that. So, so don't do that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's just unsettling. Mark, I don't know if you have anything to throw in here, other than the Mister Bean video that you showed us earlier.
0: Yeah, that's when when I heard you know DIY and dentistry. That's the first thing that came to mind was was that Mister Bean, you know, uh, drilling his own cavity, as it were, uh, which which I recommend anybody to. After watching these videos, if you need a good laugh, that's a good It's one. a good palate <laughs> <Palette> cleanser. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> um, but, um, you know, unsafe and, and half-baked, as you described it, Jack, I think is a good way to describe this trend. Um, I was glad to see some dental HCPs like hygienists kind of jumping in there to debunk the claims. Uh, but Beyond brushing one's own teeth, I would say the words DIY and dentistry should not uh, juxtaposed with one another. Yeah. I think those are two words that
2: need some quite significant distance. Quite. Again, if, we, if we can just recommend that for the, the listeners at home, don't do it. It's not worth it.
0: You know, yeah. Just, you know, try to get dental insurance through your, your employer. Um, and if you have it and you're not using it, you're leaving money on the table. You know, you can get reliable dental care every six months uh, and you can avoid a lot of this um, stuff that you're seeing on TikTok. So my two cents. That's it for this week. The MMM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Gordon Failer, Lesha Bushak, and Jack O'Brien. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. Rate, review, and follow every episode wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes out every week. And be sure to check out our website, mmm-online.com, for the top news stories in pharma marketing.